Hey, Glenn from Made by Folk here. For today's episode, we're trying something a little bit different. We recorded this interview with a Porva Baxi from Dixon Baxi on Instagram Live. And I think this could be quite an interesting format for future episodes because it allows you guys to join in on the conversation. So quite a few of you joined us live already and asked some really interesting questions. So I think that makes for a very different kind of episode. So I hope you like this one. Aporva and I spoke about their latest digital monograph, Be Brave V2, which showcases a lot of their recent work. And we continue to talk about maintaining creative spaces in a remote setup during a quarantine, uh, something that's on all our minds at the moment. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this one. Always open to your feedback. You know, reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you want to find us. So let's get started. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Hi, Aporva. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. That worked out first time. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> nice one. Yeah, well, um, I really wanted to talk to you um, at the moment because you released your second monograph. And I felt like that was like a really good opportunity to catch up and use this live stream to just talk about what Dixon Baxi has been up to over the last couple of months, years. Uh, it's been a while since I've featured some of your work on the channel. Yeah, it's uh, amazing to to be on here. Obviously, it's been a while since we last caught up, um, but uh, very excited to talk to you about E2, uh, kind of give you some insight into that and, and hopefully uh, for the people out there watching, you know, uh, uh, offer some uh, insight into what's happening at Dixon Baxi inside the studio and with the team and, and what we've got planned. Yeah, I'd be really interested to hear as well how you guys are coping with all with like the, the quarantine at the moment and how a big team like yours manages to still create a creative environment for your team to work and function uh, on a normal routine. That must have been an interesting challenge for you guys. Well, how about we start with, tell us a little bit about uh, Be Brave V2 and maybe give people some highlights from that in case they haven't seen this uh, monograph that you've just released. Yeah, sure. Um, well, look, uh, you know, as a, a kind of a brand and, and design uh, consultancy, you know, creativity is really the beating heart of everything that we do. And we've always had, um, I guess, a history, you know, Sai and I uh, coming from design, graphic design, and obviously kind of doing all of the things that the business does um, across every kind of platform, uh, print uh, and, and sharing what we do has become very much part of our story. And um, probably around, I would say, three or four years ago, we, we put together a larger book, a black uh, monograph, um, and that captured um, a snapshot of the studio at that time. And then um, uh, probably about 18 months ago, we did it again with, uh, with this book, Be Brave. Uh, hopefully you, you've seen that out there. And, and what we realized actually is that we um, have always been in beta. We're always changing. Uh, the world's rapidly changing and, and we're part of that. So um, we felt that these books were really a snapshot of the studio. It was a way to, um, I guess, celebrate 
and capture a moment in time and, and allow the team to reflect and pause and essentially reboot. You know, we need to figure out what we do next. So it's kind of a marker or anchor in time. And I think you know, it was um, just really cathartic to lay those things down on the page. Uh, now, obviously, when we come to V2, uh, we, we kind of dove straight into these uh, crazy and challenging times. I don't think anyone could have predicted that 2020 uh, was going to be like this. Uh, so, you know what? I think for us, um, you know, at Dixon Maxi and, and chatting with Sai, we really like the idea of continuing a lot of the rituals and a lot of the plans that we had. Of course, you know, there was a handbrake on some things and we had to rethink other parts of the business. But for this and, and for V2 in particular, we decided that we would go ahead and, and, and make this book. Of course, you know, we couldn't print it. Um, and as most of our stuff is on screen, it made sense to do a digital version. And I think that probably the, 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 the first thing we decided that we wanted to give it away for free um, and to inject some positivity. I think, you know, we found it certainly a, a hugely challenging time. And I think, you know, probably everyone in the community and the world um, is uh, not for six by the whole thing. Um, and we thought that there was just an opportunity of maybe opening the doors, being really open source and um, creating something that we're excited about, but hopefully adds a little dollop of sunshine, you know, and inspiration to things. So that was the, the motivation uh, behind it. And again, you know, I guess going back to the roots of the, the books, it was a snapshot of the last 18 to 24 months of the studio. So that was really the, the core intention. And I guess um, with COVID and everything else, uh, you know, offering that up for free and then, uh, you know, hopefully people can volunteer a donation. It was a, a, a little bit of generosity we could um, try and give back. Yeah. And what I'll do is uh, on the stories here and on our channel, once we're finished, I'll, I'll make sure we link to those um, those charities as well so we can maybe help you guys raise a little bit more money. Okay. Um, so you mentioned an interesting challenge there with in terms of printing. So was this originally... Uh, a, a printed book and then you kind of just had to make something work and then decide to go digital or was it, was it going to be a hybrid uh, all along? Yeah, you know, I think um, we, we've always uh, had thought, originally thought that, look, it's going to be another printed book and that we'd have editions of this, essentially. Uh, and hopefully over time, you know, we look back on, on 10 years, wherever the world might be then and, and you might have a suite of these. But I guess... Two, two things happen. One is that um, we decided that we still would approach it as a printed edition. So this actually, we began this project while in lockdown, right? So this, okay. start this, um, you know, in the studio. Uh, and we didn't expect to obviously be working remotely. Um, so we actually uh, set it up as a project um, and we did it really rapidly. It was five weeks from uh, start to finish. Um, and we were kind of multitasking in the sense of obviously there's the, all the work in the studio, but we have a huge archive of uh, reportage photography. We're always capturing what's happening in the studio. Uh, we have our projects and, and lots of images and things that, that people haven't seen. Um, but I guess we, uh, we originally thought, let's print it, let's make another one, but we quickly switched to let's make a digital edition. And I guess the question is, what does that look like? Um, and uh, how does that feel? 
And I guess we came to the conclusion that we still wanted it to feel like a book. It was editorial, editorial. You still see spreads if you've seen it. It works much the same way. So arguably, it's got one foot in the analog. Um, and we designed it with that in, in mind. You know, we paid attention to, um, you know, type sizes and so on. But really, when you read the captions, it's almost as if it's a print. But there's a craft to it. Um, and uh, uh, an editorial narrative that feels like a book, you know, as if yeah. you're through it. The flip side of that is that by making it digital, it allowed us to do a bunch of things, um, continually live edit. Uh, the, we built an entire platform, so it's uh, hard-coded rather than CMS-based. Um, and we spent a lot of time on the details, uh, how to navigate the book, the nav bar, the grid, uh, and the transitions of making it feel as if you were flicking through a book. And I think those things were things that took um, probably the longest just to figure out. And then we had to keep trying breaking it, right, so that it wouldn't break when we uh, released it. And of course, I guess lastly, it allows us to pack in 450 pages. Uh, it took me It took me a while to get through. I actually went through every single page. I think so, for those who haven't seen the, this book yet, the, the great parts that are especially useful for a company like Dixon Banksy is to be able to throw in multimedia. So sound, and, you know, like audio and video, I think uh, makes makes it much more uh, interesting because... So there's there's quite a few sections where you or Simon, I think, both talk and explain what's happening in this image or what's happening with this, this project. And obviously where you guys did do sort of motion pieces or motion design um, or have showreels on projects, you were able to just show them as well as really nice photography for all those projects. So I felt like that worked incredibly well. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think... Um, you know, to be honest, actually, because it's digital, we can we can dial that up. So the idea that it evolves over time is, is a bit. But you're right. You know, probably ninety percent of our work lives on a screen, right? It's a sixty-nine format. It's on a on a phone, on any kind of device or platform. So it makes perfect sense. And to be honest, it's a natural fit. But I guess what we didn't want to do was just create website 2.0. You know, our, our website serves a purpose. Um, you know, for potential clients or obviously for recruitment, for, for, for so on, for showcasing work. This was um, more about revealing the feeling and the culture and the spirit of the business. So um, its function is entirely different. But you're right. I think weaving in the AC Milan video or the All 4 video or um, revealing some behind the scenes or um, the audio tracks you know, are, are great. You know, it's almost the way we saw them. It always comes back to our love of film, of almost this director's commentary. Yes, that's what I was about to say. Did yeah. you record them then in the five weeks that you were while you were designing the, the this whole book, or were they already recorded for other purposes? No, um, we uh, we recorded them probably in the last week of those five weeks. <laughs> yeah, and probably with the well with the team in the last few days. So I guess the advantage of having the kind of multifunctional team we have is that, you know, we can just do things um, in a really live way. You know, we have an in-house um, editor, you know, guys who can cut motion together. Yeah. Um, 
So we did it like this. We just recorded uh, almost like a podcast, uh, little snippets and interviews with Simon and myself and the team. And we did it over a couple of days. And, and Frank, um, you know, one of our, uh, you know, uh, creative editors um, just cut it up. And then we, we spliced it together and, and that's what you get. And I guess the beauty of it is, is that it's an it's a ongoing story. We can slot in new bits of content uh, as we go. Yeah. Well, you're inter- you mentioned two interesting parts there. One was the book references a lot of studio culture. I'd like to get that back to that in a minute. But maybe you also then just talked about some of your team setup and like the people that are in your team and the, the talent that you have in that team. Sure. Maybe you could give us a, a quick overview at the moment, like what does Dixon Baxi look like in terms of people and the kind of people that work for you? Sure. Um, well, at the moment, we've probably got about 37 little mini studios in rooms and bedrooms around London big <laughs> area. Um, but I guess on a on day you know, itself, you know, when we're allowed to, to get back to things, um, we're about 35, 36 people. Um, look, as you'd imagine, um, a lot of agencies, you know, that the, there is a, a blend of talent, right? I think we've got a really diverse team. In fact, we're super proud of it because we've got people from all over the world. Um, you know, some have come through our intern academy and, and grown to be, um, you know, really uh, strong uh, team members. Um, other people are, um, you know, just kind of perspective. And I think, you know, the ability to move from uh, digital to brand to strategy and so on is kind of baked in. But I guess I'll give you some kind of cold hard numbers 35 uh, people, um, you know, we have. Uh, brand designers led by Dan, our creative director. Uh, I function as the uh, ECD, you know, um, overseeing projects. Uh, but really, we have a really strong team of seniors, senior creatives. And then, um, you know, as any studio, kind of mid and junior designers. And, and really, the, I think the difference is, is that they all work together. I mean, there is arguably a hierarchy in some sense just to allow for uh, a sense of guidance and skill sharing and so on. But everyone counts and everyone has a point of view. So there's a, there's a creative team there and that creative team is extended with a, with a motion team. So we create our, our motion systems in-house. We talk about motion theory and the, the value of uh, motion, not just being moving things, it's part of a story as much as tone of thing. And, um, so we have a, a squad of those guys uh, led by a chap called Ian, a super talented uh, guy. And then we have uh, producers uh, led by Marta, our head of production. And the producers function on, they're just brilliant in, a, in multiple levels. So they frame and scope projects. They lead them and lead the team daily. So, you know, they're kind of a daily metronome of what's happening and so on. But they're also in direct contact with the clients. So we don't have account directors or account managers or anything like that. It's producers and creatives that function. We also have um, strategic team strategy and, and you know, developing the strategy behind the business has always been part of what we do. So that's led by Dave. Um, and uh, we have a researcher and a, and a strategist. And that focuses on culture, trends, and uh, insights. And they fold neatly into the creative. So everything's kind of one process. Uh, we have uh, Rachel, our MD. There's Cy and I who've known each other for 24 years. I mean, it's oh. like 
the marriage other than our marriages, you know. <laughs> then uh, not forget anyone, we have um, someone who looks after uh, finance. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, Anna and Frank who uh, look after content and editorial and so on. So we can, we can make all those things. So it is a, a cross-functional team. And yeah. it's, it's brilliant when you throw them all together as little squads on projects. And do you mix those squads up, like, or are they like sort of set teams that always work together? Like, have you got got like, you know, team setups? Really, I, I think you know the uh, the blend is important. You know, um, so on a, on a particular project, um, we might have a lead. Well, we will have a, a kind of senior lead, uh, uh, but really different projects have different phases and those different phases bring people in and out. What we try and do is keep a team, a core team on a project for the duration. Because our projects maybe last three to six months, we, we might have to switch them out. There's a fatigue that can come from that. Um, yeah. We have to of that, right? We spend a lot of time thinking about uh, team well-being and, and making sure everyone feels good and it's, it's a challenge. Um, yeah. And um, but no, it's not like you just focus on this. I think, you know, we try and bring different disciplines in as needed and, and where possible, um, the creative team and the strategy team working as closely together at the beginning, uh, right through. And we, we have other things, other rituals, spotlights, um, kind of just check-in sessions that just keep us on track because long projects can kind of skew and veer. Um, so, yeah, about... The blend rather than a, a fixed set of rules. Right. So you mentioned there um, how important it is to kind of make sure that everybody stays uh, uh, healthy and takes care of their well-being. I think that leads on to an interesting topic. Just obviously at the moment, uh, any any company is in a, in a very different working mode from what is normal, and it'd be really interesting to hear kind of. How, how you guys have been working over the past, what, two to three to four months, depending on when you went uh, into lockdown and and how you've managed to create those creative spaces remotely. Yeah, it's uh, not like it's, it's definitely a challenge. And I think, you know, it's something that we work really hard on daily and weekly. And it, it comes from a conversation, I guess, the success of uh, how we've transitioned from, I guess, the real to the virtual is the fact that we were a really strong, tight team in the real world. Mm -hmm. And that's translated. So everyone is um, highly empowered. They're super genuine. They really uh, care about what they do. And I think we spent a lot of time talking about the values that are rooted in the business. And I think those are the things that keep everyone glued. But I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming on 15 weeks. So it's an awful lot of time. Um, transitioned really quickly. Uh, you know, in a handful of days, we were we were all. Um, I guess you know, with government guidance and so on. But we said, if we're going to do it, let's just do it. And Emma, our um, operations manager, and and the team did an amazing job of transition. So you know, on a practical note, it's hardware um, and, and software and and linking to our server and all of that stuff, which is often hidden, but it's the root of the running, smooth running of the studio, right? Yeah. Um, 
and then and then it's the team. And and I think you know there's there's nervousness. How long is it going to last? I think when we began, and even now, there's sort of a when's it ever going to end? When's the light? But I've got to say, I think uh, you know Sinai and, and and the Rach and the team. We're so impressed with how everyone's come together, and we use Slack, Mural, um, Google Hangouts, and so on to talk daily. And I guess one of the things that we did do was create a, um, a, a almost we call it the Playaway team, and, and it's a team that we meet weekly, and we just say, okay, how, how's this week? What's the sentiment? You know, how can we help people? And then we have other check-ins on everything from. Um, well-being, creativity, how people feel, how we can help um, training, how we can kind of check in with people. And then we've translated a lot of our um, sort of rituals from the studio, things like our Champagne Wednesdays. Uh, you, may, you, you mentioned this once. Why Champagne Wednesdays? I want, I want to have this day in my daily routine, weekly routine as well. If I remember, I think it was uh, Marta that may have uh, suggested this. I think we happened about three years ago, champagne on a Wednesday. We kind of do it as a um, a quick sort of shout out, right? It's a shout out of what's happening, what's great this week. And, and so, right. right, it's easy to just get so busy that you forget to stop and go, well, actually, you know, that's good, you've done well and so on. And, it, and I think it, it helps people feel energized. Um, champagne, then we've just kept, kept it going. That sounds great. It's nice to acknowledge the small wins along the way as well. So otherwise, it can be like quite big spaces between sort of like big projects being finished and finalized to be able to celebrate them. Yeah, and it's um, it's something we have to keep reminding ourselves. You know, especially now when we come back to this time, I think fatigue. Um, you know, Zoom fatigue. Uh, you know, I was talking to someone about mode switching. Right, you're, you're kind of in one meeting and then boom like I'm doing this I might have had a client meeting before or or whatever and I think um, it's easy to forget that you have you know micro interactions you know you're not traveling to and from and you still work with the same energy and intensity or we like we try to so I think we're trying to help each other remind ourselves of that and have breakouts or those conversations to, to support each other. And I know the team do amongst themselves, but, you know, as the, the leaders in the business, it, it's it's absolutely our responsibility to also figure out ways to, to do that. And it's the thing that keeps us, you know, ticking as much as the work, it's, you know, the well-being of the team. Yeah. You mentioned other couple of interesting sort of group sessions that you do throughout the week. I think did you mention that you have a sort of like a, a whole team stand up at the beginning of the day so you can just kind of see who's there on the day and just kind of see some faces so you don't feel too uh, stuck in the in the house by yourself? Well, there is that, you know, um, we have to acknowledge that people are sometimes just in bedrooms or, you know, they haven't got so so far to move and, and they might be on one project for a period of time, so you don't get a chance to, to chat to, to others in the way that you do in the studio. So we have a couple of things. We've got the, you know, as I'm sure, you know, happens in lots of studios, the, the Monday morning meeting. So that's kind of a reset. Everyone's back. Um, and uh, we look at the week ahead, uh, and each producer talks about that, and it just raises some questions. So that's a great starter. But 
repeat that every day. So every day, the 20 minute recap, just to realign because there's there's a lot going on still, even though um, we're kind of in this uh, lockdown mode. But you're right. I think that the value of that is we see everyone and we, we've kind of um, taken something uh, that's kind of fun to do is just simply the, the school register, the register, uh, put the camera on and um, Emma just literally calls everyone out and everyone goes. <laughs> and it's like a tiny thing. But um, every day at 9.30, everyone's there. It's like we're, we're clocked in, you know, we are, we are present. Um, you know, it identifies who's, um, you know, maybe on holiday or yeah. not into the day or, or in the meeting. But it also, um, I think, just keeps that bond. You know, we obviously can't wait to get back to the studio and do it for real. Yeah. But, you know, those things are super important. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think um, it's it's an interesting challenge for for most companies at the moment, not just to like br bring new projects in, but it's maybe also another interesting part of you know like how are you how are you bringing in new business at this point? Do you do you, do you guys just have like enough steady work coming in, or has that been more of a challenge as well? Now that we're you know it's more and more difficult to just kind of go and. Uh, talk to to new clients or potential clients, or just even network and you know meet that random person that might lead to the next project. Look, it's a really good question. I think you know every uh, person in every studio is probably scratching their heads, going, "Well, how, how do you how do you do that? How?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, being uh, uh, you know upfront about it, it's it's definitely a challenge. The world has changed dramatically gone back into their shells, you know, um, people, uh, certainly if you're doing campaigns or anything to do with that short-term uh, work, it's tough. Um, I guess for us, there's two things to, to weigh up. One is the, the, that we're fortunate enough to have some long-term projects that have, um, like relationships with British Land, you know, we're in our fourth year, we're doing a, a big development project with them uh, that's arcing over the next a few months and and we've been working on since uh, since last year um, and uh, we have some other relationships uh, there's a, a software company where we work in some AAA games uh, which is super exciting um, and so so fortunately those things have continued and uh, we have a layer of work that allows us to you know continue as planned you know we've we've taken um, the decision not to furlough anyone, you know, we really thought about the business and maintaining a business continuity in, in the best way possible, in the most responsible way. Um, you know, things like looking at um, the basic overheads and the commercial aspects of the business. So just good business sense and being on it all the time. I think from a uh, you know, client point of view, yeah. Uh, Sorry, my my dog is just digging uh, a hole next to me here. Holly, go and lie down. Is he? <laughs> go and lie down. I know I shouldn't have let her in here while we're doing an interview, but now she's woken up. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Um, <laughs> All right. I guess, uh, yeah, so going back to that, I guess you, you're absolutely right. I think when this all began, any question of, of new business and so on, 
is just off the table. You have to read the room. And I think even now, you have to be hypersensitive. You have to have humility. You have to be humble. It's not just COVID. There are other things culturally that are happening in the world. And I think you have to be absolutely respectful of that, right? You have to be really sensitive and, and do the right thing. Um, equally, uh, what we found is that no conversation is a wasted conversation. So I think what we've been doing is just like this. How you doing? Let's catch up. So, so a softer conversation about what does the world look like from your point of view? Yeah. Interesting conversation to have. And I think what we've discovered are insights, um, a different perspective that's helped us. Um, and to be honest, actually, I think, you know, the best work that we get is through re relationship and recommendation. And I think, you know, that's how we're trying to foster that is, is nurturing those and, and not forgetting why we're connected. Um, of course, you know, we have to lean into it. You have to reach out to people. So I think the networking doesn't happen in person, but it has to happen um, in other ways. And I guess, you know, doing something like V2 uh, raises the visibility. So, of course, there is a um, an intelligence behind that, right? That there is a to, to be out there and to be seen to continuing to focus on creativity and trying to, you know, have energy. Um, uh, but I think, uh, you know, we look forward to us edging out of this and, and, and helping clients and, and people out there do that. But it's... Um, it's definitely a combination of commercial acuity and, uh, you know, having the humility and, and the relationships to do it right. Yeah. So then looking, looking forward, you know, if we were talking a year from now, what do you think are the things that, that, you're, that you guys are going to take away from these last couple of months that you feel like need to change in your business so that you can be more resilient or that you can be better prepared for this kind I mean, let's hope it doesn't happen anytime soon again, but you know, like it's, it's, un it is likely that it will happen again at some point. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like what's your, what do you think you guys are going to change in the way you're working over the next six months until we get to 2021? It's a good question. Actually. I think, you know, the, the first thing is that it's proved, you know, we can work from home, we can work remotely. I think, um, you know, we've always felt that our studio is, um, look, it's not, it's not a true home, but it's a safe haven for creativity. Yeah. We really do care for it. As I'm sure, you know, eight tons of agency believe that being together and working together, there's a, it fosters an energy and, and, and vibrancy. So yeah. we lose that. But I think what, um, what is cool is that, it's allowed us to understand how we can do it and the fact that we can adapt to doing it and the fact that some of the team can, um, you know, bleed in and out of the studio in a, in a good way and, and have that ability to flex. Um, so I think that's powerful. I think we'll take those learnings uh, with us. I think also, um, again, the, the things we've learned about the team, um, they care about, you know, the things they value. Um, and the, to be honest, actually, because of this, we've had to, in a way, talk more about higher level things. So, i.e., not the work, but the business and the team and the training and um, how to get through it and well-being. But I think, actually, it's probably fostered a more open dialogue with everyone. 
on on things that are not purely work related and i think that's quite powerful uh, yeah. we, um you know brilliant ideas germinate from from everywhere so i'm really excited about that a, a kind of a new relationship with um everyone uh and, uh i think you know those two things are there creatively you know we have to continually adapt you know it mean i think we've always had as i said earlier the feeling of um restlessness, restless creativity, uh, always in beta. We're always kind of shedding the skin and, and doing it again. This just means we might do, it's just given us, I guess, new tools to yeah. be able to in other ways. Um, it's, uh, just, just to uh, um, bring up that point again about sort of rethinking the way you guys are doing things, do you look, do you look for that in the people you hire? Does that ever cause friction when you're kind of like reevaluating processes and trying to do things differently again? Or do you pick people who are, who are kind of in that mindset? Like, is that like part of your hiring process? Yeah, I, I would say it is. I think we look for, um, look, we look for specialists, you know, but we also look for generalists, you know, and it's more the person and the mindset than it is pure skills. Of course, you know, having a brilliant portfolio, having the craft and those baked in um, foundational skills at every level is usually important. But there comes a point where it's, um, do you feel comfortable with uh, being challenged? Do you feel comfortable with, um, it's not about being off kilter. It's just about the need to, can, can we make it better? Can we strive for something more original? Can we you know, not look at that over there and, and, and kind of fuse these things together? So I would say the people that have had the best success, um, us and certainly our team currently, are those people that feel confident and comfortable mixing up, you know, mm -hmm. having the ability to try different things. Although, look, we have an approach, we have a, a way of working. Within that, there's always the 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 challenge or the space to try something new. So you don't want to destabilize where it becomes completely uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, do it enough that it feels exciting and that we might find something original. And, and you know, there's tons of studios out in the world. It's get, it's, it gets harder to, you know, play not only the A game, but I think for us it's playing our game. And, and that, um, that's also important as well. Yeah. Earlier you touched on the, intern academy that you mentioned um tell us a little bit about that like do you actively um bring on like a certain amount of interns then per per year or what does that look like yeah it's it's evolved i guess it was an informal thing uh that that si and i believed in from the beginning you know we've had uh, a close relationship with lcc in london um uh, actually a particular uh, lecturer called sarah temple i've known her over 20 years, you know, when I first met her in New York. But I think we've always believed that there is an opportunity of fostering the next generation. And um, it's, it's really exciting. And I think, you know, now, in fact, just before this, we had a conversation uh, and one of um, our guys, Ian, brought up a really valid question, which is, what about this year? You know, how, how are the interns of the graduates from this year going to cope? And what can we do to, to give back? And I think the root of the academy is twofold. One is to um, 
uh, is to kind of empower and elevate the, the creative community, you know, give space for new creatives to uh, live, you know, live and be part of a studio that's, that's kind of thriving and learn and hopefully um, join us. You know, we can't, obviously we're 35 people, we can't employ everyone. Hopefully that four months with us, either they set sail with some new skills and, and feel energized or um, a third of our team are, have been interns and have been formalized into the, the team, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, head of production through to strategists through to creatives. So uh, they come from all walks of life. I think that's, that's the true testament of it is that yeah. there's space for that. And um, I think, you know, look, when we back out of this, we'll, we'll resume. And we've done a couple of things. One is three-month rolling cycles, you know, in different parts of the, the business. Um, other times we've hooked up with um, uh, schools or uh, organizations. I think there was one in um, France that has gap year students. So we might have someone for a year or nine months or six months. Um, and so it really depends. But I think it's a really valuable part of the team, you know, and, and finding those those new perspectives. Um, and, and they're really smart. Yeah, I bet. Like you, you'll have the you have the top pick of uh, each class if you get to get in there early, and hopefully then encourage the the good people to stay with you. That's, uh, that's a yeah. smart move. <laughs> yeah, it is really good, and and um, I think you know I, I did a talk to um, uh, I think there was a hundred or so students that were about to move into their gap year from LCC second year, I think, into the third year gap year, yeah. and. It, it was, it was interesting, you know, um, I think, you know, the challenge they face is the questions they ask was, well, how, how do I reach out? So, you know, you asked about how we might reach out to potential clients or, or, or that conversation. It's the same, you know, it's how do you, how do you stand out? How do you, do you not fall into the sea of sameness? How does your work not look like other things on Behance uh, or, or wherever you look? Um, and, and I think it does come down to the, the person as much as the work and, and you, yeah. have to, you have to be smart about no, it. Number one tip for any student watching about uh, writing uh, that first email uh, to you to, to get a job? <laughs> well, uh, be fearless and um, be yourself and show your passion. Good. Mine's always like start with like actually finding out the person's name. <laughs> All right, just dear sir and madam. One thing you shouldn't do is just uh, templates and templates and uh, that's always a, a no-no. You get to switch the name and then yeah. send the wrong name. I bet, yeah, I bet that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, like rewinding back a long way when you could do those things. Um, when I when I was an intern, uh, I. Uh, packaged and hand delivered them to the studios that I liked. Um, I think that, that, that works a treat. So how, how do you personalize it? And how do you let people know that you are reaching out to them for what they do and how you fit rather than just reaching out to everyone, everyone and anyone. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, how about, so during this time that you've been working at home, how have you been coping with sort of then, I don't know, sort of trying to finish work for the day and like switch off afterwards? Have you been able to cope quite well with working from home? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I've got to say, you know, I'm in this kind of this room. The study is kind of pretty dark. I have skylights. I think um, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. We have said or tried really hard to start at nine thirty and finish at six, and our work it kind of bleeds over. But to be honest, I think I think it's better than sometimes being in the studio. If I'm in the studio, I'd hang around. You have some people are still working. You yeah. want to them or you'd be there and so on. I think here there's almost a, uh, like a psychological tiredness, you know, like you're done. Uh, meetings are over. Uh, there's no beers to be had, um, you know, unless with my wife in, in this case. Um, but uh, it's it's been okay. I mean, Slack is also a, a danger. Uh, but I think um, we, we've, we've been pretty disciplined, or I try to be, although I'm, I'm fairly addicted. Um, and then, um, you know, to be honest, actually, I think in the first parts of this, it was we'd get to the end of the week and go, wow, we haven't been outside. And maybe because we were a little bit nervous and so on, but we didn't, hadn't taken a walk or anything. Yeah, yeah. And then now we, we take a walk, I'll finish this, we'll go for a walk. Those types of things um, are important. And to be honest, actually, the other uh, thing that I think a lot of our team have uh, started to do is just more exercise, um, focusing on their well-being. You know, I know some of them um, share kind of Strava competition, yeah. cycling or running. Uh, those types of things are really important. So it's been, um, I would say, you know, there are positive things to it. Um, having lunch at one o'clock, you know, and sitting down and having some food and, and, and breaking away from from your desk and taking taking a break from it yeah definitely i think uh i i live in a little village so i've actually got the luxury of a garden which you know like has been a has been a real uh really nice to take our lunch break and like sell in the garden with the kids and you know it's uh i can't i can't complain really <laughs> i'm sure like whoever's watching they're uh i, I was like hmm, son or watch this interview <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. So you mentioned uh, that you're you're also into um, into your classic games consoles as well as the more recent ones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were we were briefly talking. You and me were briefly talking about like we we don't have enough time to play all the games that we would like to play. But um, yeah, like what's your what's your favorite console at the moment uh, to play on when you when you do find the time? Uh, it, it's really interesting. I guess uh, just context. I've been into games from you know when I was uh, probably ten, eleven. Uh, the reason I collect games, I, I kind of discovered um, an old old game and watches. Everyone will remember them, you know, as the the kind of clamshell. Most people had um, like a Donkey Kong or something, right? It's kicking around in the attic somewhere. Yeah. Uh, we discovered them and, and then realized that there were 60 of them, right? Not just the one. There were the six oh, wow. rare, um, some of them anyway. And then that kind of started this whole craze of collection. But I guess, to be honest, actually, I've kept every console or computer that I've had over time, starting with the um, Commodore 64. That's a classic. Um, right through to, you know, uh, the Dreamcast, the Mega Drive, you know. I never had a Dreamcast. A pal of mine had one. Uh, what did I play on that? I can't even remember. I remember it being a really random game. 
That, that didn't really last very lo- long, the Dreamcast. They only released like a handful of games on that. Sega decided just to kind of move into software and so on. But, uh, yeah, right through to obviously Xbox and so on. But I guess most currently, you know, the things that are kicking around are um, obviously the iPhone, iPad, you know, you can jump on those. But uh, the Switch, uh, mm-hmm. so that's brilliant to just dip in and out of. I think the immediacy of it, the always on nature, as we were talking about, uh, yeah. is brilliant. And then uh, the Oculus, I think it's the Quest, the one without the wires, right? So there's got the cameras built in. Um, so dipping into you, the Do you have one? I do, yeah. Oh, man, jealous. <laughs> Pop that on. Again, it's the immediacy of it, right? No wires. Yeah. Uh, and that that's that's really exciting. So maybe on a on a on a late night you might find me beat saber or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I would really I would really like to try that out. I only tried I think the original uh, was it the Rift? Yeah, I think it was the Oculus Rift, like the first version, like a really er- early version of it. And I was I was just mesmerized of the experience. I, I can't imagine how much better it must be by now. This must have been like four, four or five years ago that I tried out the first time. Is you know, um, there's always that question: Are we are we living in the matrix? You know, <laughs> such that you know this is is really just kind of you know we're going to get to to that fidelity. But um, the immersion quality is, is amazing, and to be honest. It, it, re- it is really hard to find time for games. Um, yeah. Our guys uh, you know, took uh, the Friday off to play Last of Us uh, 2. Oh, man. So, um, the thing is, it's one of those games that I really want to play, and I would even really want to have the... I don't have a PlayStation 4 to be able to play it on, but I'd also be too much of a scaredy cat to play it by myself. It's the kind of game that back in the day I would have played with a buddy on the sofa, and we kind of would have shared in the horror, whereas now, like, I'm just, I'm, I don't think I can, I don't think I can handle it by myself. <laughs> I know what you mean. I mean, uh, again, you know, those types of games, they're so cool, but they require so much time investment. You also know, uh, Red Dead 2 and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, any of those games, they they just, um, it's really hard in amongst yeah. them to, to kind of dig into those. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, I probably remember the days where I was at uni with my mates and we'd just be able to play all day into the night and, and, and you know. But uh, I didn't appreciate I didn't appreciate it enough back then how 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 nice it is to have the time to be able to do that. Like later on it just doesn't that time doesn't exist anymore. A uh, quick interruption, while we've still got ten minutes before we get cut off, Instagram yeah. only gives us an hour. I uh, want to offer everybody else on the call at the moment to post any questions that you might have. So, like, if you've got anything specific that you'd like to ask Apoorva, then, you know, write it down in the comments below and we'll go through them in a few minutes. Um, what I was about to say about... Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm I, not playing enough video games while I was at uni or uh, in... in college i think i kind of regret a little bit because i I would have had more time to do so but there was also like things i remember coming out of university and everybody tells you while you're there you know make use of the time and like you know try and get as much out of it as possible and inadvertently you don't really understand what that means until it's too late like until you're in the job and then all of a sudden you realize 
how much work he can accomplish in a day <laughs> when you're at uni and you have to do like three projects a year and you're like, oh my God, that's so much work. How am I, how am I ever going to handle all this? And you know, then you're working on multiple projects every day. Like, is there anything that you look back on from like your, your early days when you got into design where you're like, man, I wish, I wish I would have maybe spent more time on that topic or that skill. Is it that, that skill that you feel like you could still uh, improve on? Yeah. I don't know. Look, I mean, at uni, uh, you're right. You know, it was, oh my, God, you know, we've got uh, these three projects to do. And, 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 and yes, you know, there's arguably now you look back and you go, wow, there was tons of time. Right. Uh, yeah. but, um, I don't know. I, I look back on it uh, quite fondly, you know, partly because of the friendships that I made. And, and but I, I think it, it put me fairly good stead. I, I would say that I was, um, Fairly lucky in um, sort of the early part of my career where I did a, a few internships, um, which kind of helped me uh, know or understand what I did like versus what I didn't. Um, and then I went through this kind of very rapid arc of moving from like pure graphic design to uh, jumping onto, uh, you know, like a, a green screen set that's huge and starting to have to direct a commercial, never having done that before. or um, you know, do uh, a photo shoot or lead a team or, or those types of things. So I guess um, I don't like look back, uh, you know, uh, I kind of look at, at what's next. But I, I, I think the thing to do is, or the skill I've learned is to always be open to the next thing. You know, yeah. that stood me in, in really good stead rather than a specific um uh, like hard skill, right? You know, C4D, but it doesn't stop me from working with amazing people who can make things move. You know, I, I can't use After Effects, but, um, you know, working and being able to articulate that, uh, you know, with, with the right person. So it's, it's more the ability to translate this into this and mm-hmm. kind of find your way. You don't have to know what you want, but you, you kind of help, tease it out maybe um but look you know i spent i'm still hands-on right i still make stuff on the book me and Sai got stuck into that you know because we're still in love with the craft as much as uh, everything else that's great advice i do like that we have just received a qu- uh, our first question and i will scroll through to see if there was any others but uh, what was the hardest challenge you faced whilst working on the ac milan project which is a pretty good question an yeah. awesome project um you know what? I guess two things. Uh, one was the, I mean, one was the responsibility. Okay, so AC Milan, 120 years, 450 million fans. You know, we really didn't want to f it up, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The responsibility of honouring that and 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 doing it right, and not not changing things for the sake of it. So one of the things we didn't do was change the crest. You know, I think a lot of clubs have stumbled by doing that, trying to modernize, and that's okay. But in this instance, we wanted to give new meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other challenge was, and, and probably uh, not everyone knows this, but we, um, when we got the, the gig and started working with the guys, it was, I think, June. Yep, June uh, coming into July. And, and, and we talked about the project and how we were going to, 
work on it. And we thought it was for the, the next season. For the same season, for 2019, right? So June to August 25th. The hardest that bit, rallying um, and, and making happen an entire rebrand of a club and creating all of the assets for San Siro, the merchandise, the, um, and San Siro's got a thousand placements of things, the yeah. motor language, the TV, the bus, everything. And That's impossible. It, How did you, did like the entire team just drop everything and just, or did you bring in more people for it? How did you manage to pull that off in such a short time frame? It was like a military unit. We had, <laughs> who was the, the lead producer, um, Jimmy, uh, Karun, um, and uh, a, a bunch of others. But those guys really led it and, and were like literally focused for um, seven, eight weeks that we had on it, which is so quick. And, um, you know, obviously I, I was involved and, and the team were involved, uh, you know, Ian on motion, uh, Will on motion and so on. But It was a call with client every day or twice a day or by the end, 10 times a day. Um, it was the ability to, um, I, I guess, react and respond and try and yeah. uh, really on the fly. So I almost kind of look back and I think the guys do as well and go, we have no idea how we did it. I mean, like it makes it, the outcome even more impressive when you know that it was done in that short time frame. I think that makes it pretty incredible. Yeah, it was, it was how do we keep the, the level, the bar, as high yeah. as um, and, and, and meet this deadline? I've got to hand it to the client as well. I mean, you know, if you ever met any of them, um, they are 100% died in the world, Rossoneri. They're, they're super passionate. And um, that energy bled off onto us. And, and I think, you know, we had to language in terms of how we work together you know we had to kind of um make that but they, they've really um you know uh, included us in their family we have uh i think um lifetime season tickets we can fly to milan when we can and, and and pop into a match so that that's a that's pretty awesome that's a that's a perk worth having <laughs> All right, we're slowly running out of time and there's a couple more questions coming in, so we're going to skip ahead a little bit. How do you set aside time for company marketing and what job role usually takes on that responsibility? I guess Be Brave V2 technically is company marketing, so that's maybe a good example to, um, to give. It's, to be honest, I've got to say, it's, it's hard to weave it in because the work, the work and, and, and it's, it's hard to do that. So... When we are thinking about Dixon Baxi projects, if they are something like V2, we have to treat it as if it was a client project. It's yeah. easy to put those things down the road, and, and we have been guilty of that. We're always almost just too ambitious. We want to kind of do everything. And so we're much better when we decide to do one thing and finish it and one thing and finish it. Um, so there are those kind of bigger projects like V2, which was kind of a five, six-week sort of sprint. Um, that has a, a focus and an and and outcome. In terms of social um, and, and those types of things, uh, to be honest, I, I do a lot of that. You know, I, I kind of maintain uh, yeah, Instagram and so on. Uh, yeah, Sai will do some tweets. Sai has a, a really great thing going on LinkedIn. 
uh, with some brilliant insights and thoughts. So we, oh. yeah, it's, it, it, you know, it's really kind of quite a personal creative uh, perspective that I think, you know, roots to the values of the business. And I think that's um, a really great uh, stream. Um, and then obviously, you know, the team when they can. So project case studies, um, those types of things, the project team make those. Uh, so it's, it is a really a confluence of it. And um, it takes time, you know, planning ahead, using things like Hootsuite to pre-post and, you know, do, do those things. But um, it's a... Uh, it's definitely an investment of time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's worth it long term. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so next question is, I'm a big fan of Dixon Baxi. I'm curious to know if Dixon Baxi is interested in Arabic language and how it works in modern graphic design, because I think they can make an amazing work with it. Uh, yeah, have you had any um, uh, clients that have uh, used Arabic language? Yeah, I didn't say at the beginning, but I'd probably say 75% of our work is international. So although we're based in London, and so all over the world, and we've, we've always been that. Um, yeah, whether it's uh, New York, uh, the Middle East, uh, in parts of Africa, uh, you know, we, we've done work out of Tangier, um, out of uh, Asia and so on. I guess to answer the question specifically, have worked with that script and that language uh, in dual dual language as well. I think there's um, a discovery channel called Quest that we worked on that required that. We also worked um, for um, yeah some other businesses. And I think, to be honest, actually, it's just a brilliant typographical challenge. Yeah, yeah. how you understand that. Um, you know, we we've brought in um, uh, native speakers to help us understand the nuance and the balance um, and so on and so forth. Uh, but yeah, I think you look, everything's open to us. And if it's the, the right thing with the, with the client, with the right mindset, I think where we place ourselves is to do is to create brands that are transformational. So if it's an evolutionary thing, not so much, you know, if a client, um, whoever they are, and if it's, you know, in this case with uh, that type of uh, Arabic script, then, then we're, we're always up for that. Nice one. Well, I think we've got three minutes before we're going to get kicked off. So I guess we might as well wrap things up. Thanks to everybody for posting your questions. If you enjoyed this chat with Aporva, please make sure to share it once we post it to IGTV so that other people can find out a lot about it. We're going to try and do more of these if you find them interesting. So your feedbacks are always hugely appreciated. I hope we got to answer most of the questions that were posted. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Apora, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. Amazing. Look, thanks, Glenn. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for your far-reaching questions. I uh, hope uh, everyone enjoyed it and uh, continue to enjoy uh, this as it gets played out. Uh, thanks for the questions, everyone. our Instagram live interview with Dixon Baxi's Aporva Baxi. As always, our music is provided by Mammal Sounds. Today you heard Overload by Daste. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you follow us on Instagram and check our stories regularly. We're going to try and do these more often, probably midweek around 8pm Central European time, so you can join in on the conversation the next time we're live. Until then, stay safe folks, be nice to each other, and thanks for listening. Thank you.
I can't stop thinking about it. Always losing my mind.